Well, we're going to continue on in our series on Advent this morning, as you can tell, on this idea of joy. The last few times I've basically had a microphone in my hand up here, I've taken the opportunity to communicate my love for decorating for Christmas as soon as possible. Uh, I know some of you Thanksgiving truthers want to come at me. I get it. You want to fully celebrate Thanksgiving. I'm coming after Halloween too, though. Like if we decorate, the earlier we decorate, the better I feel. And I love it. My middle daughter this morning was just talking to me about her love for Christmas also. She's she's obviously a kindred spirit to me. She said, Daddy, I wish we just had a holiday every single day. Like I, and then I wish on Fridays we would create a new holiday. And I'm like, okay, Eden, like what, what holidays would you want to celebrate? And she said, well, really just Christmas. <laughs> Christmas every day. And it's like, yeah, me too. Now, again, I, some of you guys, you're like, would you just stop talking about Christmas already? I get it. Celebrate your Halloween. You can have Thanksgiving. I would argue that Christmas helps us to celebrate those holidays even better, okay? But here, here's the deal. I love the food. I love the music. I love the music that actually points us to Jesus, and I love the music that you know doesn't point us to Jesus, but makes us feel good. I, like, I love that too. I love it all. I love the Christmas trees. I love the lights. I love driving my kids around and looking at really the nicer neighborhoods in town like that pay people to decorate their houses. You know they're not doing that, right? But like, I, love, I love looking at all of the lights. I love driving to Downs Family Farm. If y'all haven't done that, you got to do it. It's awesome. I love looking at all the stuff. I love the movies that I grew up watching that seem to never, ever get old, and I love eggnog. Brayden, you got to have eggnog. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, I recommend Brahms eggnog. Um, you can get bad eggnog. You can, uh, but, but I would try Brahms. And my goodness, guys, do I love giving gifts to my kids. I mean, it, it, it gets better every single year. I love asking them what they want, even though... Not only do we already have the gifts, but they're wrapped. Like, they're wrapped. We, we got them. And I just keep asking, like, oh, I don't know. It's been a hard year, you know. Like, I, you, think, you think you've been good? Whatever. Like, I love it. I love playing the games. Uh, and I love talking to them and expressing that this is really, it's not just because we want to get you more stuff. Stuff that you probably already have. Stuff that you're probably going to break by tomorrow at lunchtime. It's because this is an outworking of God's generosity towards us that we want to bestow these gifts upon you, not just because we love you, but we do love you, right? But this is an outworking of God's benevolence to us. And this is not just a reflection, though, right? This is more of a reverberation, like aftershocks of what happened a couple thousand years ago, an aftershock that happens every single year, remembering the effects of a good and gracious God towards us. All of this causes joy to be stirred up within me. Now, I do want to acknowledge that. I've even heard from some of you this morning that you're probably not feeling, you wouldn't say you're feeling super happy this morning. And and joy, what we'll be talking about this morning is different than like the happiness, like that you put on like a sweater that you have to, you feel like maybe you have to enter a room and smile, but really inside you're hurting. You're experiencing loss, or maybe this is the first Christmas without someone you love or you name it. Like some of you are experiencing difficult times right now. I want to acknowledge that. And we'll talk more about that here in a bit. But the joy that we'll be discussing this morning is not just an emotion we feel, although it does affect our emotions at times. But I want to define joy this morning as this. I got this from Jonathan Cruz, who's written a book called The Character of Christ. He says, joy is a deep 
and abiding pleasure and contentment. A deep and abiding pleasure and contentment. And I want to add, specifically in Jesus, through the outworking of the Holy Spirit. And so let's look to Jesus. Obviously, we're going to do that. Jesus embodied joy. This is going to make some of y'all feel uncomfortable, but Jesus often attended parties and festivals, celebrating something at seemingly every opportunity that he had. Some called him a glutton and a drunkard. You don't get called a glutton and a drunkard by not eating a lot of food and by not drinking. Now, they mislabeled him, I believe, but he associated with these things. He drew near to children specifically, and he even rebuked his disciples when they pushed the children away. Now, how many curmudgeons do you know that love spending time with children? They don't exist. I don't think they exist. Curmudgeons don't do that. You know, you know who's, I don't know who's laughing. You know, you know, grumpy people don't like kids. Christians of all people have reason to be joyful because Jesus himself embodied joy. Now, in a way that only John Piper can say it, he describes the outworking of the joy of Jesus as this. He is and always will be indestructibly happy. Classic Piper, right? Something's always indestructible. But you know what he's getting at. Like there is something deep within Jesus that just embodied this joy that we're talking about. Now, considering these truths about Jesus and this theme of Advent this morning, I want us to consider this question. And this is the question I think we all want to ask. Why do we have reason to be joyful this season? Like in the, in, in the everyday, in and out aspects of life, all the things you have to do, kids throwing up at home, we've had stomach bug in and out of our house this week, y'all know what it is. Why do I have reason to be joyful this Advent season? Now, I'm just caveat here, I don't know that I'll say anything that most of you that have been in church for years is gonna be brand new, and I'm not really trying to, but I wanna stir up the soil, and I hope it's fresh for you this morning to remember again why we as believers have reason to be joyful this season, and I hope to do it in less than 30 minutes. I'm trying to beat Josh from a few weeks ago. Number one, we have reason to be joyful because... Jesus has come. This is so obvious. This is the most obvious. We have reason to be joyful because Jesus has come. Let's look back. Uh, as, as you've heard multiple times over the past few weeks, we're going to keep remembering there's a long period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, hundreds and hundreds of years. But going back even further than that, I want to look at the promise that God made to Abraham. What was that promise? That he would be the father of many nations because of the faith, his faith, and the promises of God, that a covenant would be made with him between God and Abraham, but also the offspring of Abraham, who would be Jesus. That was all the way back in Genesis 17. But if we go back even farther than that, Braden took us there last week to Genesis 3 to the fall, we're promised that one day a true serpent crusher would be coming. And as Braden pointed out last, last week, not just someone that hated snakes, right? But someone that would defeat sin and death and darkness. So we're waiting for this. The people of God were waiting for this all the way back in Genesis 3. So the people of God, they're waiting thousands and thousands of years. And here, here's, we, here we are at the birth of Christ where the promises of God are being realized. Now, the reality for us is I just want to talk about the human experience. There are two things that increase our happiness exponentially when we receive something, right? Number one, that we have a great desire for that thing. Now, if you were to give me a gift today, like a, I don't know, a shirt, I don't, you know, I buy clothes like once every 10 years. If you give me a shirt, I'd be like, 
cool, man. Like, thanks for thinking of me, you know, and I'll probably throw it in the back of my closet. I'm indifferent towards that thing. Now, if you give me something that I really, really desire, okay, my happiness is increased. So that's number one. Number two, that we have to wait a really long time for that thing. If you want something really badly and you have to wait a long time for it, your desires for that thing increase. And when you receive it, I believe your happiness is exponentially multiplied. I want to think about things that really matter here, like parents who wait for years and years and years to have children, maybe decades, and then you finally have a child. Man, what feeling is is bursting out of you? Like there's happiness in that moment. Maybe someone who waits for years and years to be married, and you finally get to do that later in life. Or maybe to see the gift of salvation come to someone that you love. Maybe this is a child or a spouse, a loved one, someone that you've been praying for for maybe decades. And then they come to faith in Jesus. Man, what what happiness you are filled with in that moment, right? When you desire something so strongly, you have to wait a long time for it. When you receive it, you burst with joy. Now, when we think about the people of God in the Old Testament, consider what they might have felt when the Messiah finally comes. And now he's here. So we shouldn't be surprised to see joy or rejoicing all over the birth narrative. Let's look first at Aaron from Luke 1. These verses will be on your screen here. Aaron is just doing his job. He's serving as the priest, performing his duties. And then an angel shows up and scares the mess out of him. Like he is terrified. So the angel says to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, don't be afraid. For your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. Now this is just John the Baptist. I think I said Aaron before. This is Zechariah, obviously. John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist. This isn't even Jesus yet. So you're gonna have great joy and other people are gonna find joy in his birth as well. So not long after that, when Mary greets Elizabeth, the two begin talking And as soon as John the Baptist, who's still in his mother's womb, hears Mary's voice at the presence of Jesus, the baby John the Baptist leaps for joy in Luke 144. Then in Luke 2, an angel greets some lowly shepherds in the field. They're tending to their flocks. Luke 2, 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Obviously, this is terrifying, right? An angel said to them, though, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Why? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then a multitude of angels appears before them, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. They just burst out singing because they can't help it. The promised one from ages past is finally here. The one that they've waited on for thousands of years. And so I imagine some sort of pentatonics acapella remix, right? Like my son loves pentatonics. We're playing a lot of their stuff right now. Just busts out singing because they can't help it. Jesus is finally here. So they rejoice and then they leave and the shepherds were like, we probably should go check it out, right? <laughs> like They just had this crazy thing happen to them, so they go check out, they go visit Jesus lying in the manger, and what do they do in Luke two nineteen? They return glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. 
the wise men come a little bit later on, maybe a year, maybe two later in Matthew 2, starting in verse 9. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's everywhere. There's joy everywhere over this narrative. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped. And they just give him gifts. They opened their treasures. They offered him gold and frankincense and myrrh. They're filled with joy, overwhelmed with his presence. So they presented him with gifts. All of this, I believe, this, this birth narrative is an explosion of joy. It's almost like in the Old Testament where they're working with, like, in regards to joy. It's like two-dimensional and black and white. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and it's like we've got this high-def LED picture-perfect thing here. There's this explosion of joy. One author I read this week says that the joy of God came to focus in human history in Jesus Christ. Think about that. The joy of God came to focus in this person, Jesus. All of Scripture has been building for this moment. The arrival, the advent, the coming of Jesus, it's here. And then more than that, not just, we don't have a reason to rejoice just because he's came the first time, but his first coming gives us confidence in his second coming. In Revelation 21, we know that the dwelling place one day of God will be with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is what we have to look forward to. So we have first reason we have reason to be joyful because he's come. The second reason I believe we have reason to be joyful this Advent season is because Jesus is near. Jesus is near. Scotty Smith, uh, a pastor for years in the Nashville area, recently said this, that John the Baptist leaped for joy in Elizabeth's womb, which I already referenced, because Jesus was near. Now, may we think of joy less as an emotion of glee or merriment and more as a core peace and hope because Jesus is near. He says this. This is kind of a mouthful, so stay with me. Jesus's Emmanuelness, his nearness, his nearness is the joy. The joy we feel is because he is near. Now, that's true uh, at temporary times throughout the New Testament. I want to reference a few things, like when he healed people. He healed lepers, he healed the blind, he, he healed paralytics, those who had even died. And in many instances, what does he say? He says, don't tell anyone about what, what just happened. Now, I know you've been crippled for years, but, but keep it quiet. People aren't ready for me. And what do they do? They listened to him, right? They didn't, they didn't say a word. No, they, they had to tell everyone. They told everyone what just happened to them in this moment. They've been healed. They've been restored. They were blind, and now they can see. So they go, and they tell people in almost every instance. And what about the woman at the well in John 4? She didn't have this physical ailment, but she certainly needed healing. And at the end of that conversation, he just talks to her. At the end of that conversation, she's convinced that she's just spoken with the Messiah. Not just that the Messiah has come, that he's here, that he cares for her, but the Messiah is talking to her. He has drawn near to her. And what was her response? She also went away unchanged, right? She didn't tell anyone. 
That's not what happened. Let's read in John 4. In her joy, she went and told everyone that she could. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of her testimony. And what was the testimony? Not that she had been healed of this terrible disease or not that she was, a, she was crippled. Why did, what did she have? What was her testimony? He told me all that I ever did. That's all that convinced her. He just told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they came in response to this. They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed of his word. So they said to her, all these Samaritans now who believe, they go to the woman and say, hey, we don't believe anymore because of what you've told us. We believe now because we've seen for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now for all of these people, his nearness produced joy in them, right? But what about for the rest of us? that haven't had these encounters. Let's be honest, none of y'all, well, maybe a couple of y'all, but it's rare, right? This is a rare thing that instances like this happen. Maybe it's like a church youth camp that you experience as a, as, a, as a child or an experience maybe you've had as an adult that like you have this spiritual high and you come back, but what about the other 99% of life? The day in and the day out, the grind. You wake up, your kids just start screaming at you, right? Like, you're, or you got, you're a college student, there's always another test. There's another project, there's another thing, or your job is, is becoming monotonous. What about us? And for all the rest of us, I'd like to call our attention to John 15. Now, this is his disciples who were with him day in and day out. Now, they saw these miracles, and some got to even perform miracles themselves, but they're with him every single day. And this is what he says to them, starting in verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So you're speaking about justification. You know, you've came to faith in me because of what you've seen. You're clean. Now moving forward, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he starts off by saying, remain in me. You remain in me and I remain in you. This is what you are to pursue. And then in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is, just, this is more than just a, hey, come and get a little experience with Jesus, come and feel something for the rest of your life or even come be physically healed, though you ought to pursue those things. This is defining what nearness to Jesus looks like. He draws near to us, therefore we can draw near to him. And the closer we are to Jesus and seek to abide in him, the more joyful we are. Now, the fact that his joy can be in us, the joy of God, let's go back a little bit, the joy of God is embodied in the person of Jesus. That joy can be in you and me. That ought to blow our minds, that the joy of God can reside in us. It's available to all of us right now. So the question then becomes, are we walking closely with him? Are we keeping short accounts of sin? Even though it's the hap, hap, happiest time of year, you're still a sinner, right? We still need to repent and turn from these things every single day. I believe that this time of year is the easiest time for us to numb out on ways 
other than following Jesus. There, there are so many ways to become numb to our sin, to our pain, to our hurt. It's everywhere. It's in food, it's in drink, it's in music, it's in movies, it's in parades. It's everywhere. It's a cultural thing to celebrate Christmas here. We can find so many ways to numb out on our pain and our hurt rather than running to Jesus. I'm just gonna implore you this morning to run to Jesus instead. Your life probably isn't what you dreamed it would be. Life is hard. Life is messy. You have disappointments. You experience loss. You experience failure. Receiving the joy of God through Jesus doesn't mean we don't experience these things, though. Jesus is with us. He's near to us through it all, and that should produce joy in us. Now, you show me a person that exudes joy, a deep, what I mean is a deep satisfaction in Jesus, despite the circumstance they're in, and they're a grateful person. Like, they have gratitude. They're constantly thankful. They just have this presence. You show me a person like that, and I'll show you a person that's near to Jesus. That is what this looks like. Is your life marked by the joy of belonging to Jesus, or are you struggling to live lives of gratitude and celebration? I believe it's, it's a circular thing that joy, when we find our joy in Jesus, that we become grateful, we become thankful. I think that's true. When you realize all that God's done for you in Jesus, man, you overflow with gratefulness and thankfulness. I believe the flip side is true, though, that when we discipline ourselves to be thankful, like maybe you sit down and you say, what, what am I grateful for right now? What am I grateful to God for in this season? Maybe it's even a, a season of hardship that you jot down, man, how has God been faithful to me in this season? I believe doing that produces joy. So I believe that when we see what God's done, it produces thankfulness. And I believe that when we discipline ourselves for thankfulness, it produces joy. Find yourself in this cycle. He's drawn near to us, therefore we have reason to be joyful. And finally, we have reason to be joyful this season because Jesus is all we need. He is sufficient. Last week, we, I don't do this often, but last week I got to serve communion. We, we let all covenant members here serve communion, so it, there's a huge rotation. And so Brooke and I uh, served communion uh, here at the front last week. And if you're new with us, if you've never done this with us, when you come forward, we break off a piece of bread and we hand it to you and we say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And then you'll take that and you'll dip it in the cup and you'll hear the body of Christ shed for you. And so over and over, if you're on this side, you're the server, you're just saying over and over, this is the body of Christ broken for you. The body of Christ broken for you. It always catches me a little off guard when someone talks back to me. I'm just not ready for that, you know? This is not like a conversation, right? It's like, just come and receive, you know? Just come, just come and just, just, hit, just listen, right? So last week, I'm just serving a few people were talking to me. And it's like, this is odd. Like, not like, oh, thank you, you know, for doing that or, or something really holy, like God be praised. You know, I didn't I expect those things. But I'm just passing out bread. And if you guys remember, if you were here last week, just moments before we served communion, my name was so wrongfully slandered in front of all of you. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. If you weren't here, you probably should go back and listen to, uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe we should call Braden to church discipline. I don't, I don't, I don't know. My name was slandered by being a, a dirty fantasy football player. So it was a serious thing, right? Fantasy football is so serious. So I kind of, you know, I take that blow from the crowd. I'm like, whoa, you know, I'm here to receive the word of the Lord. And it's like, you're terrible. So I, so I you know, I, I get in the right mind. I'm passing out this bread. Body of Christ broken for you. Body of Christ broken for you. And I hear back, man, why are you making bad fantasy trades? 
I'm, I'm dead serious. And then, I'm so grateful that I have a short memory because I don't remember which one of you it was. It's kind of funny. So I'm passing it out. Body of Christ broken for you. Why are you making bad trades? Okay, all right. Blood of Christ shed for you. you. Do you need another piece of bread? Maybe you need another piece of bread. So I'm passing out bread. A few people later, body of Christ broken for you. Man, I don't think you're slimy. I, I, you're not a slimy person. I'm like, this is becoming a theme here. And I'm, I'm not joking. These things are actually being said. So passing out bread. Body of Christ broken for you in this holy moment, right? I pass out some more, and then someone else comes. This really never happens to me. People really never talk to me when I'm doing communion. Pass out another piece of bread. And the response by this person was, whoa, that is huge. (laughs) Coupled with this massive grin on their face, like, holy cow, look at this piece of bread. Now, I think this person was so excited, in part, because King's Hawaiian's bread, it's it's so good, right? Like, let's just acknowledge, I didn't realize how good it was until back in 2020 and 2021 when supply chain killed everything, right? And they stopped sending it, stopped making it. And like, there was like a minor revolt. Like y'all started asking like, do y'all hate us? Like, you're not gonna serve King's Hawaiian anymore? Like, what's going on? And then the applause we got, I think it was like 2022 when it came back, we told y'all, hey, we get to start serving this again. I thought y'all were Pentecostal for a second. Like, you, there was an applause that King's Hawaiian is back. So I, I'm sure that a, a part of this person's grin and like excitement is like, man, this bread is legit. Thank you for the big piece. Now, that's not why I'm sharing this story. I love tearing off large pieces of bread. And if you've been here around, I've been around here for a few years, I'm going to call this the Kara Jane Brister effect, right? Chris preached on this years ago that I love tearing off a massive piece of bread as a reminder that God is not stingy towards us. He didn't send Jesus to like save you from like one sin yesterday and a couple sins tomorrow. And then you gotta keep coming back because man, I I don't know if that's gonna be good. He's not stingy with us. He gave all of himself and that covered all of our sins, all of it. And so having a large piece of bread and coming forward and dipping in the juice, man, isn't it so much better to have like just a wad of bread? Man, we may run out of bread today. Like I'm putting a lot of pressure on your servers. Uh, I hope you get a large piece of bread. Maybe we should warm up some more. Um, you You don't really have to do that, guys. But I do want, I just want to be reminded every single week and tangibly so as we come forward and receive large portions of bread to remember God was enough. Jesus was enough. That's what this is. Jesus was enough for you, for you, for all of us. Jesus was enough. He is enough. This is how Paul explained it in Ephesians 1. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to what? The riches of his grace. He dwarfs Jeff Bezos. The riches of God's grace, which he what? Lavished on us. He lavished it on you. This is a benevolent God we serve. He's lavished all of this on us. He's covered your sin and mine. And it's enough. It's enough. Praise God for that, right? Because we need all of it. We are so broken and so... We're gonna leave this place and still choose sin, death, and darkness at times, aren't we? We are. Maybe you're choosing it right now and some thought you have, I don't know. We need all of it. And he has lavished 
his grace and mercy upon us. And what does this do? Fills us with joy, doesn't it? We don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. You don't deserve this. We brought nothing to the table. When you realize that Jesus has come, he's near, and he's sufficient, and that fills us with joy. But don't you know who I am, God? Don't you know what I've done? He does. What joy, what joy that fills us with. That ought to cause us to be like the man who finds a treasure in the field, that he stumbles upon this treasure, and then he sells everything he has for that thing, right? That should be us. This is what we received in Jesus. Now, for those of you that I mentioned earlier that, man, you may not be feeling very joyful this season. This is true of all of us at times. Let's just be honest. Like, it's, it's true that maybe we had this deep contentment and know that, yes, like, maybe it's in our head. Like, God, I know that you love me and you've done these things for me and I ought to follow you, but my heart's just not singing along right now. My heart's not following. This is why we often sing this song. It's called I Need Jesus from, written by our friends at Frontline. You're probably gonna remember it as I read these lyrics over us. I need the one who made me, who gives life to my bones. I need the one who is holy, the only one who's good. I need the one who came for me, who lived perfect in my place, the one that bled and died for me, the only one who saves. Jesus, Jesus, you're all I need, so be all that I want. And that's so key. There's an acknowledging that, that God, I know you're all that I need, but right now, I don't want that. Can we be real this morning? Can we take off the sweater happy face and be real sometimes? We acknowledge that, God, I know that you're what I need, but I don't know that I want you right now. But the prayer is, would you be all that I want? I know you're all I need. Would you also make it true in my heart? I need the perfect son of God who's holy, true, and good. I need the one who bore the wrath so that I never would. I need the one who tasted death and was buried in the grave. I need the sacrificial lamb, my pleasing righteousness. I need the one who rose again, who's conquered all my sin, the one who reigns in heaven now, the one who will come again. Jesus, Jesus, you're all I need, so would you be all that I want? Maybe you just need to leave this morning praying that, and that's fine. And I assure you, if you mean that, if that is you, and maybe you're hurting this morning, and you know God is all that you need, and you're, you're, praying, you're leaving praying, God, would you be all that I want? I assure you that is a prayer that God wants to answer. And he will. I believe that. God's going to answer that prayer for you today. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, some of you guys are Narnia fans, the world behind the wardrobe is a terrifying place under the reign of the white witch, right? That's a mouthful. It's a terrifying place under her reign. Her subjects are terrified of what she might do to them. She's turning people into statues. It's dark, it's cold, it's always winter. Lewis describes it as always winter and never Christmas. That sounds terrible. But when Aslan shows up, what happens? The snow begins to melt. You start to see the effects of his kingdom coming. Statues come back to life. The world behind the wardrobe begins to dance and sing and rejoice. And Lewis writes this, Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Now on this side of heaven, 
we get a taste of this reality. He's talking about Jesus. Did you all know that? Sorry if you guys haven't read the books or seen the movies. He's talking about Jesus. So on this side of heaven, this is our reality that it's sometimes winter and it's sometimes Christmas, right? Do you get what I mean? Sometimes winter, sometimes Christmas. Not all winter, so it's not all death and sin and destruction, but it's not all Christmas and singing and dancing and rejoicing. But one day, because he's already come once, we can trust that he's gonna come again when it will be, get this, to the surprise of my daughter, always Christmas and never winter. Can you, can you imagine? Always Christmas and never winter. Until then, let us, as his people, embody his joy. May that be true of us. Let's remove the governors or the seatbelt you have for celebrating Christ's coming this season. Celebrate big. Don't feel bad about it. Party. We have reason to celebrate because he's come, he's near, he's all we need. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this wonderful truth that you have sent your son Jesus to do all, the, to all these things on our behalf, to die for our sins. We know that Easter's coming. We're gonna celebrate that. But right now, it's, just, it's this reminder that you, come, you came. You entered into our world and you did so that we might have a right relationship again with you. I pray that as a people that we would feel this joy that's been spoken of this morning, that we would have a real encounter with Jesus, the one who is joy in the flesh. God's embodiment of joy has come. Help us to believe that. I pray that for those in the room that are hurting this morning, God, I pray that you would meet them where they are. I pray that they would not feel that they have to put on a happy face all the time. They would not have to be that pretend to be happy when they're really not. But I do ask God that this prayer that we've just spoken of would be theirs. That maybe there's an acknowledgement that God, you're all that we want, but you're not, or that you're all that we need, but you're not all that we want right now. If we need to leave praying that, man, make it so. Would you make us all more into the image of Jesus this season? It's in his name we pray, amen.